Well, if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to continue in Philippians chapter 2. I think the way we'll try it this morning is I'll kind of recap some of the things we've talked about and then read some of the scripture for today and then get going. So just a reminder, since it's been a little while, what we've talked about, big picture, we talked about Philippians, one of the big themes is this idea of working together, striving side by side. We talked about kind of like a rowing team. It's not every man rows the fastest. It's trying to be united and row together. And if you do that, you're, you go farther and faster than you could alone rowing, rowing your best or than the best person in your boat could row by themselves. And that's the way the Christian life is. We also talked about uh, shame. We talked about how there's misplaced shame, which is shame you feel that's not your shame. It could be something someone else did. It could be uh, the way God made you. I shared a story about having to buy husky jeans and how I felt ashamed as a kid, and it was misplaced shame. Uh, I shouldn't have felt ashamed about the way God made me. And then there's rightly placed shame, which is shame based on sin. And the answer to both of those, we said, was the gospel. The gospel's the answer for shame, both misplaced and rightly placed. And Jesus came to take away both our guilt and our shame. And then we talked uh, about uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11, about Jesus and his example to us, and that we should have the mind that he has. We talked about it in terms of emptiness versus fullness. And that Jesus had comfort. He had honor. He had the right to be served. He had a high position. He had everything. And he laid that down uh, for others. And we talked about how, in general, the world operates the opposite. They're empty, and they're seeking fullness, for selfish reasons. So the world is seeking comfort, seeking to be served, seeking honor, seeking position, not for others, but for themselves. And so Jesus had fullness. He laid it aside for others. And the world has emptiness, and they're trying to get all those things, um, even though that hurts others in many ways, just the opposite. And so that leads us to really verse 12 of chapter 2, which starts with a therefore, and so that's kind of one of the reasons I recapped. So let's read, uh, let's just read the whole beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, and all the way through verse 18, with that kind of background. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Do all these things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in, run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacral, sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So today we're really going to focus on 12 and 13 and what those verses really teach us. And it really ties into last week that we have this example of Christ who had fullness in all he could want. Uh, all the, the whole world really was created by him, for him, and yet he was willing to lay all these things down that he had as a right for others. And we asked, you know, do we operate out of emptiness or fullness? We talked about uh, Madonna, who said that her drive is this fear. Uh, her, the quote was, my drive is from a horrible feel, fear of being mediocre. So we talked about, it, that's kind of the idea of the world. I have this fear that I'm not important or I don't matter or something's missing in me, and so I am seeking in all my actions to fill something lacking. And we ask, is that what we do, you know? Is that the way we operate? Are we serving and, and going and doing all to try and fill something, or are we full and we're able to lay down what we already have for others? Not selfish, but outward, otherness, we talked about. And Christ is the example of that. And so then the question for us is, how do we have that? We see Christ has it, but what about us? How do we operate from fullness and not emptiness? How do we move from being like all of us, the whole lost world, we're moving from a place of emptiness trying to fill that. How do we move into living from a place of fullness? And that's kind of the question we want to answer today. And really it comes up in this next verse. Therefore, in verse 12, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That really ties in with what Paul already said, that this mind is ours in Christ. And so if we're going to be like Christ, where do we go? Where do we seek that? And it's in Christ. It's in Christ. It's in Christ that we can find what we're looking for. And if you want to jump 
to Philippians 3 with me, Paul really describes this in his own testimony here in Philippians 3. Verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So really, what we're saying is that if we want to move from a place of emptiness to operating from a place of fullness, the solution is Jesus. You need Jesus. Jesus is the source of this mind Paul says Jesus is the source of our salvation that we're operating from. Work out your salvation. If you're going to live like Jesus, then the way you do it is by working out the salvation that God gave you in Christ. And that comes through a few steps, really. But the first we can see here with Paul is just realizing you're empty. Realizing that all these things that you were trying to fill your life with and have meaning and purpose and value and all that left you empty. You thought that that's where your value came. You thought that that would make you pleasing in the sight of God. And you come to realize it didn't work. I'm still empty. I'm still striving. I've been striving and striving and striving and it didn't work. And so that's what Paul realized here. He realized that all these, in his case, it was religious things that he was using to try and uh, make himself pleasing to God, find his worth. And he realized it was emptiness. So that's the first thing. He counts that as loss. The second thing is not just to see that it's empty, because people, a lot of times, lost people will f- come to the place where they crash and burn and realize, I'm empty. I don't have anything. But then where do they go? Sometimes they think there's no hope. But the reality is, is that the hope is in Jesus, that we can find fullness, our purpose, we can be pleasing to God through faith in what Jesus did. And that's what Paul says. He counts that as loss so that through faith he can know Christ. And the reason I bring Philippians 3, 4 through 11 up is he just kind of throws this word in, in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, salvation, in, but we haven't really unpacked it yet. Philippians is different than some of the other books where He unpacks what is it to be justified, to be saved, and then moves into how to live. This is uh, different in terms of organization. So it's good just to jump ahead and see what we're talking about is salvation through faith in Jesus and what he did, not what we can do. And you can see that in this text, too. If you look ahead to verse 16, it says, holding fast to the word of life. 
so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. So he kind of hints at it there that the way we can be saved is we're holding fast to the truth of what God said. So let's just jump in to this phrase and try and think about it. Work out our salvation, your own salvation, with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If we are going to operate out of fullness, it's something that God did, and our objective reality, and then we're working it out. That's different than if it said, work at your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say that. It says, here's this salvation that's happened, this objective reality. You really have been justified by Jesus. You really did die on the cross with Jesus if you're trusting him. You really are a new person. You really are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. All that is reality, objective reality that has happened. It's something God did. And now you don't need to work at it. You work it out. The implications of the objective reality that already happened. Very different than working at our salvation or working on our salvation. One thing I want you to think about in terms of just a practical question is we can know that in objective terms and know if I ask you, are your good deeds making you right before God? You might know the answer, oh, of course not. I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And know it in our minds, but then throughout the day actually operate like the verse says, work at your salvation with fear and trembling. It's possible to have this disconnect in our minds. To know that your soul, your sins, your eternal life is dependent only on Jesus, but then when you sin, you feel guilty, and what do you do? Do you immediately run to, how am I going to fix my behavior? How am I going to do better next time? And you comfort yourself, you comfort your, how you feel based on your own performance. You see the difference? Instead of running to Jesus, resting in what he did, and then working that out, you try and perform better to feel better. It's disbelieving the gospel in your daily life. So a practical example, you're short with your wife. A uh, uh, good example of this, uh, I've been short with my wife, and my immediate response was just to think, okay, how can I do better next time? What can I do different? And then know, like, if I cannot be short again for another week, then I'll feel better. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't feel better, soothe yourself with your own works. It's with Jesus. And what I should do in those cases is lean into Jesus. Give that sin, give that de- uh, defect in, in my own heart to Jesus. Ask him for help. realize I've been forgiven and then ask God to help me live out what he did in me, that he's forgiven me, that I'm new, and live like that in my marriage. And that's totally different. One is my performance is to make me feel better. The other is I've been forgiven by Jesus. I'm resting in that. That's my comfort. And I'm walking that out. I'm trying to live that out. And so we don't want to know this in our minds about salvation and then live functionally uh, a different way and operate like, like 
our soul, our feelings, our identity, and our worth are coming in our performance, but know the right answer in our head. This is really, in some ways, the Catholicism has this mindset. The, the Catholic Catechism says, the Catholic Catechism is basically what the Catholic Church uses to teach their attenders what the, the Catholics believe. But basically, it's the opposite view. It's work at your salvation, and it says... We can merit for ourselves the graces necessary for, for salvation um, through grace and charity and things like that. So it's really teaching work at your salvation. And that's not what this verse is teaching. What else it's not, is it not teaching? It's not teaching um, you've been saved, there's no need to do anything. Right? It said here's this objective reality, we don't just sit and we're done for the rest of our lives, it says that happened, and it has implications in your life that you need to work out. It's an objective reality that works itself out. And this reminded me, a good illustration of this is in the book uh, Bonhoeffer, which is about a pastor in, in Germany in World War II, he talks about how the Nazis did not have any problem with churches preaching Christ alone. You could go, you could preach Christ, you could preach you know, whatever you wanted to preach. But if it got to where it was affecting what you said about Jews or what you said about the Nazis or it started to work its way out into everyday life, then they would come down on you. And so it's, it was interesting to hear, you could be a pastor, you could preach all this truth, but don't let it get out into your life or into the real world and we won't bother you. And that's exactly what we don't want to be. We don't want to be able to come up here and say, here's what the Bible says, here's what the reality is, and then just leave it there. And it's not working its way out into our life, into our everyday interactions with people, into the things that are going on in the world around us. That's not what we want to be like. It's not this objective reality we sit in and don't move. And there's one more thing. Uh, It's not teaching, and then we'll get into what it is teaching. It's not teaching just just work at being good and there's no need to discuss the salvation part. And again, a quote from that Bonhoeffer book is kind of helpful. He, He came, Bonhoeffer was a German pastor, he came to America in the 1930s and he talked about how shocked he was that he went to church and there was groups that went bowling and there was groups that had tea parties and there was lots of social causes and he said he never heard about the cross or sin or salvation. And so we could do just the opposite. We could focus all on how do we go out in the world and how do we live and if none of it is rooted in what Jesus did on the cross for us in salvation. We don't want that either. Um, it has to be salvation Real objective, what Jesus Christ did, working it out, not working at it, with fear and trembling because God is working in us both to will and to do. So we need this objective reality. We've got to have it. We've got to know it. That's where fullness comes is in what Jesus did. Verses 2 to 11, really where it talks about Jesus 
God becoming a man, dying on a cross, taking away our sin, humbling himself all for us, for others, laying it all down for us, that that is the source of our fullness. We are accepted. We are children. We are valuable. We have been forgiven. We do have a new life. We do have a new mind in Christ. All these things are objective realities that have happened through Jesus. Now work them out, live them out. got a little quote here that I want to read to you that really summarizes this well. This is Miles Stanford, and he uses different words than the words we've been using. He uses the word position when we're talking about objectively what Christ did. He uses the word position, and he's meaning your position in what Christ did. You're a child, you're forgiven, you're righteous in the sight of God. And then how you work it out, he He talks about that as your condition. So your position is the objective and your condition is how you live it out. So just, he used a little bit different words, but he says a similar thing. So I'm going to read you this short quote. Our position is the source of our Christian life. Our position is the source of our Christian life. It is established in the Father's presence. When, When we receive the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit caused us to be born into him. He created us in the image, sorry, let me restart that. He created us in the image of Jesus. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.17. This position in which every believer has been placed, whether he is aware of it or not, the Christian who comes to see his position in the Lord Jesus begins to experience the benefit of, of all that he is in Christ. His daily state is developed from the source of his standing. Our condition is what we are in the Christian walk, in which we develop from infancy to maturity. Although our position remains immutable, our condition is varied. Through the exercise of faith, our position affects our daily condition, but it in no way, but in no way does our condition affect our heavenly position. If you are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So he's saying you have two realities, the objective reality of what Jesus did, and then us working it out in our life, he calls that our condition. So we could call it salvation through Jesus, and then how it works out in our life. One is objective, and it has to go in one direction, it's a one-way street. It has to go from what Jesus did to out into our life, not the other way. It can't go back. It can't, we can't be focusing on how we live and then looking back um, and hoping to be saved. It's the other way around. We trust in our position, and that affects our condition. Not try and get your condition changed so you can be, feel like you're in a better position. It's faith in what Jesus did that really transforms our life. And I'll give you an example from my own life. I remember I was lost. I knew the, I knew the gospel in my mind. I went to church every week. I still struggled with sin deeply. Uh, was living in, in many ways a pattern, a life pattern of sin. And I remember every week I would go to church and I would confess the same sin. And I would always say the same thing to God. God... I'm going to try harder next week. I'm sorry. 
I felt deeply guilty. I felt like I wanted to be different. And the solution for me was try harder. I need to try harder. I need to try harder to get this sin out of my life. The reality that hit me eventually was someone said, kind of described what I was doing in a sermon uh, that Jess sent me, and said, you don't believe the gospel. You're working out yourself, you know, basically working at your salvation rather than working out what Jesus did. And it just transformed me. It made me realize I wasn't a Christian in time, but, but that I needed a new heart and not just to try harder. But the reality is we've got to see what Jesus did, forgiveness, and work that out. And the interesting thing that Paul says next is with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This isn't the way I would have written this verse. It's kind of shocking what it's not saying. It's not a threat. It's not saying work out your salvation or, or you're going to be lost. Fear and trembling because if you don't work it out, you're going to be lost. That's not what he says. He says fear and trembling for God is working in you. He's saying, you're a real Christian. This real thing has happened to you in Jesus. You've really been changed, saved, forgiven, justified. All that's tied up in this broad word salvation, regeneration. And as you're working it out, walk in fear and trembling because you realize God is the one working in you. That's amazing. That's totally different than fear-based motivation. It's as you're walking, you're in awe and trembling because you're realizing not I'm scared not to do this. I'm, I'm in awe. I'm fear and trembling because God right now is really working in my life. He's the one working this out. That's very different. That's a very different feeling. It's rooted in what Jesus did in security because you know you're forgiven. You know you're a child. You know you're adopted. And you're, you're trying to work that out. You're not afraid of being lost. You're just in awe and, and, and amazement and trembling that God is really with you and working in you. That's amazing. That's remarkable. Now, this uh, way I'm going to kind of try and tie this all together and close this up is going to take me a few minutes, but is with an illustration uh, from history. And I'm going to try and tie all these things we've talked about together in, in a story, basically. And there's one more thing I want to point out textually about the text that isn't super clear but is very important. And it's that the two yous here in our text work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. Both those yous are plural. So He's talking not to individual Christians about their individual walk. He's talking to us as a body, which is different, right? Because I don't know about you, but when I read it, I immediately think me, my walk, me walking with Jesus, and it's just about me. But the reality is is we've got to just twist our view on it a little bit, but and yet it changes everything. He's not saying, you individual Christian, walk, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you individually. He's actually saying, you all, God is working among us, and he it, walk with fear and trembling as he works out his will among us as a body. 
And so it's not just me walking with Jesus, it's us as a body, which really fits in with really the context here if you went back and read uh, at the end of chapter 1, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. Okay, so I'm going to try and tie it all together with a story. Very interesting story to me. I hope it's interesting to you. I'm going to try and set it up in a way that maybe you won't realize right away who I'm talking about. But in 1952, so we're back just after World War II has ended, and we've had only president we've had since World War II is Truman. So he came in at right at the end as Roosevelt died, and then he was elected president the next year. And then this is the first election where we kind of are looking for a different president. And there's this rally that's organized in California, and there's movie stars there, and they're kind of giving their pitch for who, who they want to be president, and they're saying, this guy needs to be our president. And there's a bunch of people there, and it's like, rah, rah, rah. You, you, you probably have seen some of these rallies. But the person who actually they want to be president isn't at the rally. They're actually in Europe. And they actually don't even know that they organized this rally. So they organize this rally. We want this guy to be president, and the guy has no idea. And they film it all. And they're Hollywood filmmakers there come and film it. And they cut all the tape, and they put it all together. And they fly it to Europe to show the guy who didn't realize they were having a rally because they want him to be president, which is pretty amazing, really. And so they get there. Here's this film. We want you to watch it. And they turn it on, and it's a film showing this rally and it's, imagine it's you, let's just say. It's, they want you to be president. And there's thousands of people cheering. There's all these people giving speeches. That's just unreal to me. But that really happened without his permission. And what would your response be to that? I mean, you see this, everybody's cheering, and you realize, man, people really want me to be president. Well, the response... This, this ended up being the president, uh, Eisenhower, Ike, and his response was he broke down weeping, which is a very surprising response. And the reason is, a little bit of backstory now, let's back up. In the previous presidential election, Truman, who was the president at the time, came to Eisenhower and said, why don't you run for president, I'll be your vice president. So can you imagine that, the sitting president saying, hey, I want you to be the next president, I'll be your vice president. Can you imagine if Trump said that to you? Um, I mean, because not only is he saying, I want to be your vice president, he's saying, I won't run. So it would be like Trump saying, hey, I don't want to be president this next time, I'm not going to try for re-election, I want you to try. That's a pretty big honor, really. And at the same time that happened, the Republican, that was the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, had this movement, and they said they were going to put Ike forward for their president. And that was back at the previous election, 1948, that's right, 1948. And he turned both of them down. So he turned the Democrats down and the Republicans, who both wanted him to be their candidate for president. So he had already turned down the presidency twice, kind of, before this, which is pretty remarkable. And you have to know, too, that he was a general in World War II. And so he actually planned D-Day, He stood up to Roosevelt, he stood up to Churchill, he did a lot of different things, and now he's over in Europe overseeing NATO uh, in 1952. So 
with all that backstory, what he realized was when he saw that film, when he saw them saying, you know, he, they want him to be president, he realized that he was not just himself, but that he had become the image, the the personal representation of all that American victory in World War II stood for, uh, fighting against evil, working hard, laying down your life for the good of really others and for safety of our country and, and the world. He realized that he had become the image of that to the American people. And he was living a living example of all the best that his generation and our country had to offer at that time. And people were looking to him as that. And so that's why he broke down crying. He broke down crying because he realized that he, was an, he wasn't himself only. He was kind of an icon. And an icon for the best that at that time America had to offer. And we even now call it the greatest generation. So even back then I think he probably had a sense this is a big deal. What we did in World War II, standing up to evil. Uh, he, there's another time where he broke down crying just talking about D-Day and all the kids that died that he ordered in. And it's just a big deal, what it costs, what it meant, how many lives it saved, and things like that. And he realized, when people see me, that's what, they, that's what they see. It wasn't something he tried for. It was something he turned down. It wasn't something he was trying to do or work up. It's something that just happened to him. He happened to be the person that became that symbol. And it was overwhelming. There was a fear and trembling because of the awesome responsibility of such a of such a representation that he, he had to live out. And also a responsibility. He realized, I do need to do this. I do need to step into this role that basically is already there, opened up for me, that I wasn't looking for. And so he had this objective position as this icon that he didn't seek, he didn't earn, he didn't maneuver it to happen, and he was fearful to step into it because of the great weight, responsibility, and to live up to it. And not only that, he didn't see it really. He had to have others come in and kind of show him and remind him and push him in some ways into this role. And I felt like that was a good illustration of the way we are as Christians. What it is is this objective position that you have, which is in Jesus. You are his representative. You are forgiven. You are new. You are born again. You are a child of God. And you're kind of standing on the outside and you may not even realize that that's the position you have. You may not even fully believe it. Like he didn't really fully believe it. And you need somebody to come in and tell you, no, you really are forgiven. You really are new. God really does want to use you. you really, your sin really is gone. It really is washed away by Jesus. You really are seated at the right hand of God with Jesus. It's not just something out there. This is the reality. And as you walk out in the world, you're, you're a much bigger representative than he was. I mean, that's a big deal uh, for him to kind of represent that, Ike. But you're, you and me, as Christians, it's a thousand times more. We're representing Jesus and God the Father to the world. Lights in the world. That's what verse... Um, I missed the verse. That's what it says later on in this section here. Let me find the right verse. 15, uh, we want to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We have a greater responsibility, a greater position, a greater 
ministry, which is to represent Jesus to the world. We're lights to the world. We're the hope to the, to the world in that not just for this season, but for eternity, right? That this is an eternal, eternal things are at stake. Not just, you know, the next four years or whatever of the presidency. Eternal souls are at stake. And you need to see that that reality is there and believe it and begin to act it out. And just like Eisenhower could have just said, no, I'm not really that representation. Um, I'm not really the poster boy for this. I really don't want to be the president and turned it all down. He stepped into it and he realized, no, what they said is true. I really need to embrace it and live it out and act out what has already been objectively happened in the, in the minds of everyone else. For us, it's different. It's an objective reality in God, right? It's even more than if all the U.S. thought we were awesome. It's God looks at you and sees you as his child, as forgiven, as his representative of Jesus. You're new, you're, you're washed, you're clean, and that's true. And you need to see that that's true objectively and step in and start living it out working out what God already did, the way God already sees you. That's, that's a high calling. And you can see our response in, in many ways should be like him. Fear and trembling. It's like, what? God, you see, really? You see me as your child? You see me as totally clean? I'm a new creator. I'm your representative to my kids. of G- I'm the representative to my kids of Jesus? And f- in fear and trembling say, God, that's... That's a high calling. Please help me walk this, work this out in my life. Because that's a big deal. Um, much in my mind, and I think it should be in all of our minds, to, to act out what Jesus is like to our kids, way more important than being president of the U.S. And so, you know, when you get down and you're a dad and you put your arms out and your kids run to you, you know, and you give them a big hug, you are living out what they're going to see as God the Father is, as what a Christian is like, and so what Jesus is supposed to be like. And it's like, wow, this is a great responsibility. Help me to respond in, in, with grace and truth, and, and I want to discipline, but I, also, I, want to be, I just want to be like Jesus. And you feel that sense of fear and trembling to fall short of that, to say, man, what if I do bad? What if they come away thinking Jesus is harsh when he's really loving or, or this or that? And yet, there's encouragement. Why? Because you really are clean and God really is working in you. He's, God is working in you both to will and to do. This is the fullness that we're, that we're living out of. Now, just to tie it all back in together of, of last week, if you don't really believe that, about yourself, and you're trying to fill, do things to fill your soul and make you feel like you're really good or you're really important or you're really valuable, you're missing out on what you already have in Jesus, right? Don't be over here trying to earn something that you already have the position. All you have to do is step in in faith in Jesus and see, I am a child, I am valuable, I am new, I am forgiven. Ike didn't have to go and try and muster up all this. This, It had already happened, and he just stepped into it. 
And the same for you. You don't have to try and muster it up. You don't have to. God really did this for you in Jesus. Step into it and then live it out. Now, let's put one more layer on it because it also is, is helpful in that it's, it had to be a plurality here in this story about Ike. Somebody else had to come in and remind him and show him, look, this is really who people see you as. You are the icon of, you are what people think about when they think about World War II, the greatest generation. That's you. And he had to, somebody else had to show him, somebody else had to throw a rally for him to be president, to eat for him to see it, and then for him to see he needs to step into that responsibility. And in the same way, these are plural yous here with us, right? Work out your salvation, plural, our, all of us together with fear and trembling, for God works in us. And so you and I are not just doing this alone. We're not just te- preaching the gospel to ourselves every day alone, saying, I'm a child, I'm forgiven, I'm justified, God loves me today, God's delighted in me today. It's not just that, although it is that. It's a plurality. We need to do this to each other and remind each other as we're walking along with one another to remember. No, remember, you are valuable. You are forgiven. You are new. You are washed. You do have access to the Father through Jesus. All these things we need to do to one another, remind one another of who we are in Jesus as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who's working in us to will and to do. And so this may be your, if you're married, definitely your spouse. Just to say, you know, begin to feel down. I mean, this just happened with Jess and I not very long ago. I can't remember um, all the details, but basically one of us was feeling down just about uh, kind of, uh, it was, I think it was kind of some family stuff. I was, And just reminding each other, Listen, your value comes in Jesus and how he sees you. How Jesus sees you is your child, and that's where your value comes. Don't let this get you down. And we need to do that. We need to do that to each other. We need it. We need to be pushed into who we really are and reminded of who we really are. Just to conclude, let's just wrap this up with some application. If you're lost, what's the answer to the, this whole sermon? Kind of a lot of thoughts here. Uh, but if you're lost, you're empty. You don't have fullness. You're not walking in fullness. You're trying to do the opposite. You're trying to fill your life with things to make you feel valuable, to find, find uh, be, be pleasing to God in your own effort. And if that's you, you need to realize how empty you are and how that's never going to fill you and turn to Jesus for fullness. Not try and earn it. Not try and uh, do all these religious things to make God love you. To see that in Christ on the cross, he does love you. He's willing to forgive you and to step into that in faith. That's what you need if you're lost. If you're a Christian, you might need, you might need some exhortation. Maybe you are more on the side of, here's this objective reality, and I've just kind of been sitting in it, and I haven't been working it out. I know in my mind, I'm forgiven, I'm I'm God's child, but I'm not really doing much in terms of living that out. I'm just kind of resting in that and maybe have gotten kind of complacent where I'm at. I'm not growing. I'm not reaching out. I'm just kind of sitting in the object of reality. Maybe you need to hear, work it out. 
there's implications. It's not just that this happened to you, you're saved, now you're going to heaven and you can sit and be comfortable. It's, yeah, you've, you're God's child now, but look how this Im- impacts your life. Look how you, you are representative to others of Jesus and you need to step out and be press on. There's more of Jesus to know. There's more Christ-likeness to be had. You need to work this out, what God already did. Or, that may not be you. Maybe you aren't complacent. Maybe you're just exhausted and you're tired and you've been... You've been trying to work it out to the point where you're just, you're just exhausted and you feel like giving up. And you need to hear the opposite side, which is it's God who works in you both to will and to do. You can rest in who Jesus is. You've been going 90 miles an hour. Take a rest. Jesus loves you. He's forgiven you. You're clean. Rest in that. And as you are filled by realizing who you are in God, what you have in Jesus, and knowing him, loving him, being like him, as you, as you are being filled with that, you're going to have the energy and the uh, ability to step out. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to uh, work this out to show you're valuable. Rest in what Jesus did. You can rest. And maybe that's you. I don't know where you fall on that. Maybe somewhere in between some of those Uh, maybe in some areas of your life on both sides. But what you need to know is work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you. He's working in you both to will and to do. It's an encouragement. Praise the Lord for Jesus. Can't we just say thank you, Jesus, for showing us. Thank you for, for not only showing us what this is like to live out the life of a full, someone, a child of God who's full in him, not only that, but he, not only was he an example, he's the one that purchased it for us, and we can say thank you. So let's just pray together here and thank God. Father, I do pray a little bit uh, scattered, I know that, and I just pray that if there's anything that wasn't clear, that you would just help make it clear, and whatever was helpful, that it would be um, and stick in people's minds. Thank you so much, Jesus, for being being our righteousness, being our representative, for making us child, children of of the Father. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming to live inside us and and work in us to will and to do. We're just thankful for for you. Um, all Jesus, Father, Spirit, we're thankful. I pray you'd help us today. I pray you'd give wisdom to know which one of these ways, we, whatever truth we need to hear today, would you just apply it to our hearts, whether we've been working to prove something or when we shouldn't be or whether we're complacent, complacent where we are. Maybe there's lost kids here today. I pray that it would just be helpful to everyone where they're at and that we would just set our eyes on you, Jesus, and what you did and who you are. Thank you for just being able to meet here together, even with all the pandemic stuff. We love you. We're thankful for you. Amen.